This B-Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. Loved and trusted by more than 1 million teachers, IXL enhances your teaching and takes work off your plate so you can make an even bigger impact on your students. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and helps you assess student performance through actionable, real-time insights. Strengthen daily instruction, close knowledge gaps quickly, and set every student up for success. Want to bring IXL to your school? Learn more at IXL.com B-E. That's IXL.com B-E. We are proud to partner with MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Students can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, wind time, activity periods, RTI, counselor and teacher appointments, and so much more. Even my favorite, Synergy Time. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, my flex learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash B-E. Welcome to the Cybertraps podcast. I'm Jethro Jones coming to you from Washington, I am the host of the podcast, Transformative Principal, and author of the book, School X, How to Redesign Your School for the People Right in Front of You. I'm a former principal at all levels of K-12 education. Hello, everyone. I'm Frederick Lane, an author, attorney, and educational consultant based in Brooklyn, New York. I'm the author of 10 books, including most recently, Cybertraps for Educators 2.0, Raising Cyberethical Kids, and Cybertraps for Expecting Moms and Dads. Jethro and I have teamed up to bring timely, entertaining, and useful information to teachers, parents, and others about the risks arising from the use and the misuse of digital devices. Over the coming weeks and months, we'll be talking to some of the world's leading experts from the fields of education, parenting, sociology, cyber safety, and today, reputation management. What? That's even a field? Amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Join us as we look at what it takes to better navigate our increasingly high-tech world. The Cybertraps... Well, yeah. oh. <laughs> no. I was just going to say, I was going to interject before we launch into our mission statement that obviously one of our goals is to have a reputation that Tom could manage. That's so. right. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> the Cybertraps podcast is a production of the Center for Cyber Ethics, an independent nonpartisan educational institute dedicated to the study and promotion of cyber ethics as a positive social force through research, curricular development, publishing and media, professional training, and public advocacy. It is our pleasure to report and announce that Buoyancy Digital is the inaugural mission partner for the Cybertraps podcast series, a digital advertising consultancy with an ethos. Buoyancy was founded by Scott Rabinowitz, who has been in the digital media world since 1997 and has overseen $300 million in youth safety compliant ad buys across all digital platforms. For IAB, Google, and Bing accredited brand and audience safe advertising sales solutions, 
media buying, and organizational training for media publishers. Reach out to buoyancydigital.com or Scott R. Media on LinkedIn. And we're off. How are you, Jethro? Doing well. Good to see you today. Yes, you too. It's a pleasure to be here. We are, uh, I think, very fortunate to have a engaging expert who, as you pointed out, works in the field of reputation management and response. I'd like to introduce Tom Kowalski, who is the founder and CEO of Rep, REP, which is a global digital security and reputation advisory firm specializing in risk protection. REP helps to preserve online assets and public images. Tom, welcome to the Cybertraps podcast. Gentlemen, thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here today, and I'm looking forward to diving into, you know, as Jethro says, very uh, complex problems. Uh, you know, this is language that Rep uses all the time, but these problems are very deep and complex, and we, you know, try to ease the burden of worry for our clients. Well, I think one great place to start, Tom, would be to have you discuss the ecosystem of reputation. I mean, when we think about reputation, we tend to think of celebrities, right, or politicians, or maybe the odd multi-billionaire tech specialist who may be going through a difficult situation. And so is there some relevance to the work you do to the average person? Yes, absolutely. That's a great question. And even though that we do specialize in high net worth individuals, high profile individuals, because they have their own unique set of challenges, as you just mentioned, everybody has reputational issues. And, you know, the average individual, just because they aren't uh, in the public spotlight, let's take a step back why I started this company. Um, You know, I I really started, uh, you know, formulae formulating this company because someone attempted to threaten my reputation years ago with some disparaging online information. And when I started to solve my own mystery and I realized that the laws don't keep pace with technology. And so as I worked on my case and then started to perform the investigation and research, I started documenting everything and detailing every step of the way. Um, And that involved law enforcement, um, and navigating around these very complex issues, um, you know, to try to solve the problem. And at the end of the day, it's very difficult to solve these problems, right? So I'm an average individual. Case in point, you know, there are several, uh, you know, scenarios or, or, or different situations that occur, um, you know, with the average individual. And it's incredibly important because we are our own brand in a connected world that we live in, instant gratification on social media, it's incredibly important to preserve your reputation, maintain its pristine. Um, And that's what I do, providing peace of mind and eases the burden of worry for my clients. So minimizing, you know, those reputational risks. Well, it's interesting to have a chance to talk with you because I don't know if we actually have discussed this, you and I have chatted in the past, but in addition to the other work that I do, I've spent the better part of two decades working as a computer forensics expert um, and dealing with some of the digital investigation pieces that are out there. And I've worked on a couple of cases where people are really blindsided by information being posted online about them that may or may not be true, often is not true. 
And one of the things that amazes me is how little assistance they get from the social media companies out there in terms of helping them to unravel the problem. It's one thing if, you know, the police go to a Facebook or to a Twitter or Google, you know, whatever, they tend to get a response. But if you're just this average person who's being harassed by an ex or a vengeful fellow employee, it's really hard to get any help. Incredibly difficult. And, you know, I found that to be firsthand with my situation. But now that I've started this company, I have several clients that I've helped try to polish their reputation after adverse events. And one particular situation got really ugly on Facebook. And, you know, we had contacted Facebook and, you know, the, the platform is just an incredibly unhelpful in, you know, helping victims. And, you know, why? Nothing against Facebook. It's all social media platforms. Their model is built on advertising and treating users as such, the user. They're not a customer. They're not paying. There's no customer service center. And therefore, there's no victim uh, support center. And that's, um, you know, unfortunate because, you know, I have a lot of folks that I work with in cybersecurity as well as in intelligence and law enforcement. And, you know, we all share these concerns with, you know, some get really ugly, murders, rapes, and such. And it's unfortunate that these companies are unhelpful when it comes to these things. Um, and, and that has to change because, you know, our world is interconnected these days. As I say, you know, the physical world is often connected to the virtual world, you know, so folks hide behind a device and, you know, even adults, you know, I talked about this on Saturday in my presentation, cyberbully kids. We already know the statistics that cyberbullying causes uh, suicide. So it's, it's incredibly important to not only monitor your reputation, but, you know, to monitor the chatter that's going online to raise awareness around the risks that could affect not only your family, but uh, if you're a business owner, your business, or if you're an educational institution, uh, the institution itself. So I have a friend who said that when he went to work for a large firm, they went through and basically scrubbed everything out about him online. Is that a, is that even possible, one? And two, is that how you would go about rebuilding someone's reputation or what other strategies would you employ to do that? That's an excellent question. So I'm actually working on a project right now uh, without giving you too many details, but the client has some disparaging information that ran several years ago and it's on uh, multiple outlets. And the problem is, is that one particular outlet with a high viewership ran the information. And so that's very difficult to suppress. And that's exactly what we do, right? We take uh, and we create a strategy to promote favorable content on behalf of the client. So we write that information in terms of articles and posts, social media posts, and we promote them through various channels online. And what that does is suppresses the negative content. And so, you know, the longer that we go um, and the older the articles get, they get pushed down on the search results. So when you pull up that profile, more often than not, 
they will fall on the third or fourth page of the Google. Now, look, I say this all the time. What you put on the internet is forever. It's always going to be there. Uh, but what you can do is suppress that. And so when employers pull up that information or anybody for that matter, likely that they will see that because they're not digging in the third or fourth page is the better. It's so, that's an interesting observation. I, I'm sorry, Jethro, why don't you follow up and then I've got a separate. Well, so this is, this is something that I've tried to do myself several years ago. I tweeted something inappropriate and, and intentionally, instead of deleting that tweet, I left it up and also wrote a blog post about it. It was me not being a good educator and, you know, people can go and find that. However, for somebody to just be scrolling through my timeline to get to that, I mean, that would take forever to get back that far because I've posted so much. And I think I've posted so much good stuff since then that a lot of that is just buried naturally, unless you're specifically looking for Jethro and fire drill and worst class. And that was what my tweet was basically. And so you can go and find that, but I left that up as a learning opportunity and it wasn't the end of the world. It was just something stupid, but there are other things that people would like to get rid of and things that have caused people to lose jobs after so many years. And so if you're not in the public eye, you don't think too much about it. But when, when you are in the public eye, you do think about those things and maybe treat it differently. But, you know, it's easy to delete posts, but you can't delete what somebody has taken a screenshot of and you can't delete what somebody else has done. You just have to do your best to suppress that, right? Correct. And, you know, that that's going back to kind of what we talked about before is that the laws don't keep pace with technology. And it's a very complex world. And no, it doesn't prevent anybody from doing that and then defaming you. Um, and that's unfortunate because... You know, in the world of defamatory information, uh, it's a gray area, right? And especially on the internet, and it's very hard to, uh, you know, control that or prevent it. So point one, and uh, thank you for that information. And I was about to ask you, so is that an invite to, for people to go and find information on you? But you covered, maybe that's a learning lesson. And it's a learning lesson for everybody to be very cautious on what you put out there, you know, for example, uh, last week I had somebody in cybersecurity uh, that I'm familiar with reach out and he was hired to uh, escort people from uh, a company that were using TikTok on company time. Now, the company has a policy against social media usage, but that, of course, doesn't stop folks from using it. Now, not to pick on TikTok, but that just happened to be the platform they were using. What was happening is they were inadvertently uh, showing proprietary information on their computer screens, on the desk, and then the layout of the particular office. And that's very sensitive information that's on the wide open internet now. And so if an adversary were targeting that company, great. Now they have proprietary Excel information that was up on the computer screen and the layout of the office in case they wanted to plot. And that's very serious. But even adults, just as much as kids don't have any awareness in doing that because they just don't know. And so creating even at home or for yourself, a guideline to maintain and adhere to is incredibly important, even for yourself, because those outline the boundaries that you don't want to cross. But it's incredibly important, especially as we move into the education system or you know the corporate world to have those guidelines, but to constantly address them. Because if you just write the guidelines and hand them out, Nobody's reading that. Nobody reads the fine print. 
So it takes folks like myself to come in and run a cyber awareness program multiple times a year, not just once a year, because people forget that stuff. You have to constantly drill in their heads. So if you're marketing something, it must reach the eyes seven times to resonate. Well, cybersecurity is very similar, right? It has to constantly be you know, reminded and brought to its folks' attention. Well, Tom, the, the lawyer piece of me is crying a little bit that nobody reads all of the beautiful prose that my fellow lawyers <laughs> compose so clearly and excitingly. Um, but <laughs> there are a couple of points that, that you touched on that I, I'd love to draw a line under. So number one, I mean, one of the things that teachers face as a risk all the time is the inadvertent disclosure of student information. So I just want to remind every educator who's listening that your point about confidential information in the workplace is directly applicable to the school environment. And there, of course, you're dealing with children who may be more vulnerable in some ways. And so absolutely a good reminder that you should not be doing this on school property just because of that potential accident. But the other thing that I thought was really interesting about what you were talking about is that the internet has become this, for lack of a better term, and I'm gonna directly steal it, it has become a wayback machine for all kinds of information that people thought was not going to turn up in some way. And my classic example of this is an educator first in Kentucky who had an adult film career long before she became a teacher and somebody found an old VHS tape and made the connections somehow using the internet. Mm. And she was asked to leave her teaching job. She moved to Ohio, changed her name. And five years later, exactly the same thing happened. And so this is relevant in some ways to the European initiative of the right to be forgotten. And actually my hometown newspaper, the Boston Globe, just to give them a shout out, has launched what they call a fresh start initiative, which mm -hmm. enables people to go in and say, okay, it's been 15 years since that DUI, nobody got hurt. That's hindering my ability to get work. I'd like you to take that down. Now, I'm enough of a historian that that makes me twitch a little bit, but it, I'd be interested in hearing your thoughts on that as someone who deals with reputation. Is the European model of the right to be forgotten vis-a-vis -vis search engines and potentially newspaper sources something we should be looking at here in the United States? You know, that's a great question because uh, I, I'm familiar with that story and I, I certainly felt for her and, you know, Things of that nature certainly don't bother me, uh, you know, but I think it depends on, you know, what you're doing, you know, certainly education. Uh, and then, of course, the area that you live in, which might be more conservative, folks might not be okay with that, right? To put and, it mildly. You're, oh, yeah. But, and look, you know, that doesn't mean she's a bad person, right? So, um, but then I look in terms of, you know, potentially something very nefarious happening or, you know, um, that, that was just downright wrong or extorting money or stealing data, exfiltrating data, you know, so those types of things where someone was doing something malicious, right? I, don't, I wouldn't consider this case a particularly malicious case. I mean, some might categorize it as such, but I think you have to look at these things like, okay, well, what happened? Like, why do we really care? And Frederick, you made an important point in your his 
Dorian background. Uh, I get that too. And I err on that side, but, you know, I think we need to examine these things with a fine tooth comb and say, all right, you know, look, she's not a criminal. She or he, uh, whoever did it is not a criminal and it happened, you know, who cares? So uh, it, it depends. It's situational, right? It's complex is what I'm saying. And you touched on an important point. I think, I think we talked about this it was a homecoming situation where uh, this happened in Florida. It was a couple months ago or surfaced and a vice, pre- uh, vice principal uh, had given her, her daughter access who was running against, you know, one of her competitor for prom queen or whatever it was a homecoming queen. I think it was. And uh, she dug up some information on, on, you know, other children's are what the votes for, for homecoming queen. I forget what it was, something like that, but the daughter, the vice principal had given her daughter access to information on other students. Now she had information on their social security numbers, medical data. And so you touched upon that point. It's incredibly important. And me and putting on my cyber hat over here, where were the alarm bells going off? The automatic alarm bells and that technology to, you know, say, hey, this is being accessed. Many student records are being accessed at this hour. So you know, those anomalies would have been detected had there been a good technology system in that and may have prevented that. Uh, so, you know, those things happen all the time and sometimes you can't prevent them. But, uh, you know, it's it's incredibly worrisome, to say well, the least. Well, this is a, an interesting piece, because if we go based on the we have to have a framework for making these kinds of decisions, because somebody who got a DUI 15 years ago it, it's just lucky that that nobody got hurt, but that is something that that puts a lot of people at in potential danger. And so, you know, in the cheerleader or the high school girl situation, nobody got hurt because I didn't sell those identities or anything like that. I just happened to do a little oppo research on my uh, homecoming queen rival, and I found out that she got you know suspended two years ago for getting in a fight or something like that nobody really got hurt. And we, I think we have to be careful in saying that's, that's not, we should just let it go because that, that is an important thing for us to be aware of. There could be a pattern, even if it is 15 years between incidents. So what I appreciate about what you do is that you put in, you know, you try to suppress that stuff by saying, here's all the other good stuff that I've done. And Fred, go ahead and interject what you were going to say. I think you probably have a good point. Well, you know, this is, this is fascinating stuff stuff for me because this touches on so many aspects of, of my work. And ironically, that example that I pulled out of, of the hat is also relevant because I was nearly killed 40 years ago by a drunk driver. So do I want to know that this guy, you know, what his history is? Yeah, there's a part of me that kind of does. And I will say, you know, we're we're not we're not going to reinvent the wheel here. The folks in, in Europe, for instance, who have looked at this are doing, Tom, precisely that kind of balancing act, you know, because they're weighing the significance of the historical fact with its impact ongoing on the individual. And ironically, the less significant the event is, which would justify this kind of right to be forgotten, at the same time, that probably would have less impact on your day-to-day life over the period of years. So there's that weird tension, like if it's something that's really harming your life, well, probably people need to know about it because it's quite serious. So I think the approach that you're taking, 
and I've seen this done in a whole bunch of different ways, is that it's sort of the, it's the opposite of what some trolls do in terms of S posting. And you can fill in the S there that they, that what you're doing is, shall we say, beauty posting. You're putting out a lot of good, positive information about individuals. Yeah. Uh, fixing. <laughs> it's like, that's how I'm, I'm a fixer, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm yeah. reverse engineering Excellent. the PR world. I mean, look, I, I come from the PR world, almost 17 years career and, and not only uh, being a publicist, but then analyzing PR coverage. And as I say, plugging a square peg in a round hole sometimes, uh, you know, the material is very subjective. It's not black and white sometimes. But now what I do is uh, keep my clients out of the news. Uh, and out of prison sometimes, right? So, and that's an extreme, right? But at the end of the day, when you have a cyber breach, there are increasing consequences as a result from regulation, from the government, fines, uh, and so on and so forth. You certainly don't want the government breathing down your back if you have a breach. Now, bringing it down to the individual level, that can certainly happen. There's ransomware. Now there's double ransomware. I just learned this the other day, that there's double ransomware. So when you pay uh, an adversary and unlock and get that in, uh, key to unlock your encrypted data, then you're presented with another opportunity to pay them again, <laughs> to pay them again, to get another key. Who would have knew? There's always something new. But you know the, the, these things bleed into other areas. But at the end of the day, they affect your reputation, right? If you're a business owner and they stop your operations, that's affecting your reputation. If you're an individual and this information is surfaced, it affects your reputation. It affects your ability to get a job. It affects your, your public persona. As I say, reputation crosses all boundaries. And each and every individual, even if they're not online, leave digital footprints because we are all connected. And that individual who may not be on any social media or even have an online bank account, they are online because you can Google them and their information comes up in public profiles. So for the parents out there, Tom... And I know that you speak to parents with some frequency. Mm -hmm. They have kids who are at various stages of brand development, right? And actually, one of my books, The Cyber Traps for Expecting Moms and Dads, I kind of get all grumpy about parents co-opting the brand identity of their kids by posting all of these things about them before kids can make a decision, which I actually think is an inappropriate thing to do. But putting that aside, kids obviously are going to be online doing their own stuff. And that will inform their brand as they get older. That's right. What should parents be talking to kids about? What can they do practically to kind of protect their kids as you know, from a reputational standpoint? Yeah, that's a great question. And I talked about this the other day and I asked the room uh, two questions. One, do you monitor your kid's credit and do you put a credit freeze until they're 18 years of old? Because the likelihood of them, you know, getting a mortgage, buying a home or a car is zero before 18 years old. Um, and so the common thing is for someone to get a hold of whether it's a, another family member or an adversary of a child's social security number and then getting a line of credit and then running up debt. And then they come to find out when it's too late at 25 years old or whatever, how old they are, uh, that their credit has been destroyed. And that takes many years to clean up. So that's one. Number two, when your child is born, a good idea is to assign them social media handles. So go on Twitter, go on Facebook, go on 
all the, you know, LinkedIn and assign them their own social media handle. So they can have that when the time is right, or when you feel the time is right and carry that through adulthood. But the important part here is not just giving them free reign of social media, but it's to monitor their reputation and your family's reputation on social media. So it's not damaging. Uh, and that's pretty important is that you have a tool that does that, but then you're also monitoring that chatter because when the time comes, you want to make sure that you're monitoring, you know, whether an adult is, you know, getting involved in cyberbullying your kid, whether other kids are cyberbullying and what the online chatter is and so on and so forth. So that's incredibly important. And then third, bringing it all together is creating that family plan and a great way to do that. Every, every family uh, educates their children on, you know, what an emergency is and what to do. If there's a fire, what the best escape route is in the house, what to do. If, you know, someone's uh, not breathing, what to do and to call the authorities. But parents more often than not don't educate their kids on the online danger. So how to report somebody if they're harassing you online, you know, what the privacy features are. But, you know, creating that bond of trust with your kids is incredibly important as well, because if you tell your kids no, what's going to happen? They're going to go and do it anyway, because they want to know why mom or dad or uh, you know, tells me not to do it, right? They're going to do it anyway. But involving them in the planning process, creating the guidelines that protect the family and communicating the why is incredibly important. And there's a higher rate of efficacy with your program uh, when you're doing that rather than just telling them no. We had the uh, pleasure of talking to Heather Staker recently. Um, certainly would encourage people to look for that particular interview, but she yeah. had such a great phrase for how kids can respond to those kinds of inappropriate or difficult materials. This idea of crash and tell, how do you crash the computer and who do you talk to about what you've seen if mm -hmm. something goes online? And it just, I thought that was a great summation, but as you correctly point out, you need to create a relationship with the kids where they will feel comfortable doing that. Absolutely. Without a doubt. Yep. Well, and, and so much of what we talk about comes down to relationships and communication. And that, you know, I think is, is a big part of what you're saying that you have to have that relationship. You have to have that communication because mm -hmm. otherwise they're, they're going to learn the way that everybody else has learned about the power of social media, both right. good and bad. And instead you can teach them by clearly communicating what's going on and what they need to be aware of. Right. And you touched upon the bad part, right? So if, if the parents aren't educating them, where are they learning? Most likely their peers, and it may not be the right way. Well, definitely is not the right way. <laughs> I know from experience <laughs> being a school principal. I think the other thing that I'm interested in from your perspective is you know, you mentioned the the combination of physical and cybersecurity. And in our interview with Vern Abila, he talked about that as well. And uh, what I find fascinating about that is that more and more that theme keeps coming up in our conversations that, you know, it's it's one thing to just to to just be smart online, but then you can reveal a lot of personal physical information about your surroundings, where you live. There's some uh, creepy thing where you called like, where's my cat or something. You can go find out where 
cats are in the United States. People just take pictures there in the background and you can pinpoint where that cat lives basically just from random social media images, which is you're kidding me. No, I I thought I learned that from you, Fred. (laughs) Do you not know about that? No, I did not know about that. And that just weirds me out. (laughs) Oh yeah. Okay. I'll find it for you. I'll share it with you. Let me, let me, since you're on this topic, let me give you a fun one. I just learned about this service. You probably, Tom, have already heard about it called PIMEYES, P-I-M-E-Y-E-S. And it's a website, I think, PIMEYES.com. And you can reverse search a face that you have in a photograph and it will do the same thing. It will find all the social media posts and, you know, of course, their, their corporate spokesperson is, oh, this is not a stalking tool. Yeah, right. You know, it's Rebecca Schaefer all over again. Oh, yes. So that, you know, that brings us back to, you know, the lack of privacy laws that we have and data protection laws that we have in this country, or even on a global scale where companies are able to get this technology. Now, let, let's be honest, this technology has been around for decades at this point, you know, uh, law enforcement use it in their cameras and so on and so forth. But as you pointed out, once it gets into the wrong hands, it can be used in nefarious ways. And for a CEO of, of this company to say that it can't, I mean, they're very naive to, I mean, that's kind of scary, actually, frankly. Uh, but, you know, they're naive to the threats that exist out there, right? And that's very unsettling to me. Well, you know, to be fair, Tom, <laughs> I don't think naivete is exactly what they're demonstrating there. I think they know full well that someone who's willing to pay 300 bucks a month, you know, is going to have relatively unfettered use of their product. And they just don't want to be seen as endorsing, you know, stocking or what have you. But, you know, the reality is that that's probably going to pop up at some point and they're going to have to deal with their own reputation issues in the fallout from somebody getting hurt. You know, the corresponding problem, and this is where we get back a little bit to parents, um, is the fact that the, the success of PIMIs is that they're drawing on a database of 900 million or so publicly available photos. And that's the real problem. This is stuff that we as a society have uploaded into the cloud. And yes, we can certainly say that maybe there aren't adequate safeguards in terms of what Facebook or Twitter or Instagram make available. But the reality is that we've chosen to put these images into the world. I'm not saying that that justifies this capability, but as you correctly point out, you know, the technology has been around, you know, for quite a period of time. And now in very Western capitalistic fashion, somebody's decided, hey, we can make money off the general public with it. So there you go. Right. It's been a great conversation, Tom. I'm so appreciative of you uh, sharing your information and what you've learned and what you've uh, experienced. So thank you for coming on the Cybertraps podcast. I appreciate being here. Thank you both for this opportunity. It's been great discussing these very complex and challenging issues. (laughs) Well, I suspect, Tom, that this will not be the last time that we tap into your experience. So hopefully you'll uh, join us again at some point in the future. Certainly not. And I'd be happy to. It's been a pleasure. Excellent. Thank you. Good.
Well, that wraps up this episode of the Cybertraps podcast. In the coming weeks, we will continue our coverage of emerging trends in a variety of areas, including digital misconduct, cyber safety, cybersecurity, privacy, reputation management, and the challenges of high-tech parenting. Along the way, we'll talk to a growing collection of international experts who are helping us to understand the risks and the rewards of digital technology. You can find the Cybertraps podcast on all your favorite podcast apps. We hope that you'll share the show with your friends and colleagues and reach out to us if you have topics, suggestions, or questions. If you'd like to follow us on Twitter, I'm at Jethro Jones and Fred is at Cybertraps. And if you're still listening, you must have loved this interview. Please leave us a five-star rating and review in your podcast service. We appreciate having you in our audience and look forward to having you join us for our next live episode on Monday. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all of those things? You need flexible time. When added into your master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flexible time without all the headaches you get with it usually. Its intuitive design and SIS integration makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com BE. Do you want to save time on prep work, increase student achievement for all of your students, reliably meet tier one standards? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com B to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve these goals. That's IXL.com B-E.